all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hello, and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slatman. I'm a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators, and I have over 45 years of experience as an expert fire investigator. And this is Donna Ingram. I have almost 30 years, I hate to admit that, in uh, fire and fraud. And welcome to Speaking of Fire. Glad you're here. Yes, we're uh, going to have a very interesting topic today, and we got great guests. Um, And we try to have gate guests every time. Uh, And uh, Jamie Novak, who's uh, with us, is um, is a repeat guest on here, Uh, and he is uh, he's been a fire investigator for over 24 years with the with the uh, St. Paul Fire Department. But he also has a uh, uh, investigative firm called Novak Investigations, and uh, he'll be talking to us a little bit later about how he does tests and, and blows up buildings and and uh, and things of that nature. And we have John Morris, who's a principal owner of Morris Fire Investigations in Phoenix. Uh, he's a retired ATF agent and uh, a certified fire investigator, and has uh, over 725. Uh, fire and explosion uh, scene uh, examinations, and uh, he was he's he was at the uh, Boston Marathon bombing in Oklahoma City Federal Building, and worked also the USS uh, uh, Miami fire, and then we also have. Uh, Stephen Carmen. Steve Carmen is president of Carmen and Associates Fire Investigations, and he's a retired ATF senior special agent, and has a lot of experience, and is very good in in uh, in in. Uh, classes and and on the radio and things of that nature since I have had uh, the good experience of being with him. And he was on the board of directors of the IAAI. So first, let's say hi to people. Uh, Hi, Jamie. How's it going out there? Good, good. Glad I could be here to speak with you folks. Well, thank you for being here. And then, John, can you hear us okay? I can. Good afternoon, Mike and Donna and Steve and Jamie. And then, uh, Steve, uh, you're way out there in in, uh, in Northern California. Is the, Apparently, the phones are working. Is that right? Yeah, they seem to be working today. I can hear you all. It's great to be here. Well, thanks for being here. Um, we'll start with John. For uh, John, you um, you were a supervisor uh, in uh, explosion matters. Uh, were you not, or didn't you run a team? What ex- what what did you do? So my story is kind of probably similar to a lot of ATF special agents that venture into the arson and explosives field. I spent 10 years working firearms and drug investigations and kind of got bored with that. And uh, right about that time was the Oklahoma City bombing, which allowed me to transition into the explosive side. I took a position in our headquarters managing the explosives programs, so I got to more or less administer some of the most on uh, prevalent, prevalent ongoing explosions investigations at the time. So it would be the Atlanta Park uh, Olympic bombing, the um, TWA Flight 800, and then I kind of transitioned into an actual certified explosive specialist and member of the National Response Team, which does large-scale fire and explosions. And from there, mm-hmm. I uh, spent 
14 years in the Boston Field Division as a fire investigator and an explosive specialist. And then the last three years of my career, I was a supervisor in the Intel Group in Phoenix, and I uh, supervised uh, special events, uh, diagnostic teams, and things like that for explosives. Amazing. And now, and now you've uh, you've retired from uh, ATF, and you are uh, doing fire investigations through uh, Morris Fire Investigations right there in uh, Phoenix, correct? Yep, that's right. So I, I serve all of Arizona and California. Um, primarily doing fire investigations, but I, I have done some uh, explosions, some gas, propane and natural gas explosions, and, uh, you know, reach out to law firms, and I do uh, special specialty insurance companies, energy insurance companies that deal with natural gas or propane losses. Well, that's great, and I know that, uh, that Jamie's going to be talking about some places that he blows up for training uh, using natural gas, uh, and, and so we'll talk about that in a second. But um, you worked, uh, well, the, the Boston Marathon bombing, and I know there's a lot uh, that goes into uh, bombing investigations that the general public doesn't know, and we're not going to teach anybody how to uh, set a bomb up or build one, or we're not going to teach them how exactly we investigate them, but let me just uh, see if what you can tell me about, there's a lot of, indi- there's a lot of indications when there's a, there's a uh, explosive device and a lot of ways to find people uh, and even trace the explosives, are there not? There is, Mike, and I would say that my experience uh, is very similar to a lot in this country. We, we typically didn't deal with the type of explosions and explosive or IEDs that we're seeing now. Uh, typically, the first, I don't know, five or so years, I, I dealt with the pipe bomb type explosions. After I did my tour in Iraq, uh, working on an uh, explosive exploitation cell, you, you can apply that knowledge and you start to see different things in different firing systems and fusing systems. And then when you get to an event like the Boston Marathon, that experience, you know, makes it easier to distinguish what's important and what's not important because that's the biggest thing. You know, a lot of people can do these scenes, but it's the experience of recognizing components, recognizing fire debris, recognizing fire patterns that it is important when you're in, when you're evaluating the evidence, the forensic evidence at the scene. Well, what type of common explosives are found in your investigations? So, Donna, what typically we would see here in the United States um, is what we'd call low explosives. That's going to be your smokeless powders, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, your ammunition, your your uh, uh, explosives that would go in uh, conventional firearms ammunition. You also would see pyrotechnic powders. Pyrotechnic powders are typically what you'd see in fireworks. And, you know, the criminal element will will uh, take those um, powders and then apply them to an explosive device. And, you know, it's it's low explosive because it's it's subsonic when it, when it explodes. The, the shock wave is subsonic, whereas high explosive is you know, you're exceeding 3,000 feet per second. So, Yeah, right. When I was a police uh, detective in St. Louis uh, County, uh, one of the organized crime uh, people were, was uh, obviously uh, extinguished by uh, by another group. Uh, as he was driving down Highway 55, they uh, had a remote control device that went off and took him out uh, and, um, and kind of blocked traffic for hours. Uh, we were, the traffic was the hard part of the whole deal. 
That's far for us. Anyway, but um, we always knew we we had an idea who did it. Uh, but uh, John, you you uh, you also um, uh, you you work uh, specialty stuff on on uh, on what did you say a, a, a petroleum stuff or what was it? So natural gas and, and propane, uh, propane. Type, uh, explosions or you know post fire events, um, and and a lot of that is uh, you, you, when you're in the explosives field, you you know you start out with your basic, you know this is a low explosive, this is a high explosive, this is what does a, what a pipe bomb looks like, an axe, and how you recognize it, and how you process it, how you collect it, um, mm-hmm. and then as you get more experience in that education. You know, the quest for a knowledge kicks in. You start to venture off into different areas. And I ended up uh, taking some courses and, and getting certified um, as a natural gas and propane service technician. So, you know, you start to understand the properties of natural gas and propane and, and how they, when they, when they explode and what they do and how they move debris around, how, what that debris will look like and things like that. I see. Okay. Well, Jamie, do you, and well, he was just talking about gas. Uh, and uh, do you do training? Um, you actually s- uh, set up uh, scenarios where it causes uh, natural gas. Do you also do uh, propane explosions too? Yep. We through the Minnesota chapter, and then some stuff I had done when I was at the state fire marshal's office. We've blown up. Uh, approximately nine houses with propane and natural gas and then some other mobile homes and cubicles and stuff like that that we've blown up with both propane and natural gas. Yeah, and we, I've really enjoyed seeing your, the videos that you, uh, that you have of that. Uh, you, can, you can tell um, what the, the exact, uh, well, reaction. I mean, the flame fronts that go through a positive pressure wave and all of that stuff. Uh, do you ever... Um, did it ever get away? Did it ever get too big for you, or did you always yeah, have some, it? a few times? We've had a couple that were a little bit bigger than we were expected. Um, <laughs> you know, and one of the things we've learned a lot for investigators is that some of the uh, old wives' tales that uh, propane would blow out the walls at the bottom and natural gas would blow out the walls at the top. We kind of learned that doesn't matter what type of gas; it's where the weakest part of the house is that the house will come apart or blow apart. So, you know, we've learned a lot of stuff, and the more we do this, the more we find out, you know, not all explosions are the same where they react and the building blows up in a second. On some of our uh, explosions, it's taken actually uh, 14 seconds to go from one end to the other end and uh, blow up the building. So uh, that's another reason just why we do testing is, one, so we can learn from it, and have some practical experience rather than, you know, what uh, the books and what former authors who sometimes used explosions, scenes that they were at where they didn't actually witness it. And sometimes that isn't always the best uh, way to learn because you don't know exactly what happened and how it was set up where these test explosions, we do know how we set it up and where the leak was and where the ignition was. So... A lot of information to gather and a lot of good information. And I believe the Minnesota chapter in the state fire marshal's office were the first to ever video the inside of the explosion. Canada has done a lot of uh, um, explosions of some scenes, uh, but I don't believe they had any cameras inside the uh, structure at the time. 
We do a lot of talking on this show about the CSI effect and, and myths and things about fire. It's the same with explosions, isn't it? Correct, correct. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of stuff in the past was just uh, passed down from investigator to investigator without any testing or research done on it. And I think uh, the whole fire investigation community in the last 30 years has just gone leaps and bounds um, to better, more quality fire investigations and explosion investigations because some of the testing and research that uh, the fire investigation community has done. Plus, we've learned to, to speak and, uh, and talk with scientists, too, that sometimes they know a lot, but they don't know the real-life stuff. They do a lot of stuff in the laboratory, and when we work together, we learn a lot better. Right, right. Right, and 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 Steve, you uh, you're on the editorial board of the International the International Journal of Fire Tech, Technology, and I'm sure that you have dealt with uh, a lot of explosions and and taught. I know some courses. Uh, have you taught a lot of courses in, in explosions, or, or have you found any really good research recently? Well, some of the work I've done, Mike, is related to the. Uh, combustible fuel gases like both John and Jamie are talking about, uh, but also a little bit with um, more of what we'd call a blasting agent, the, the type of thing that took down the uh, Murrah building in Oklahoma, and also the type of thing that actually Donna just posted a little bit about on Facebook the other day, where back in 1988 there was an explosion right there in Kansas City that killed six firefighters. Um, I, I worked that I have, one. Yeah. Okay. That was really tragic. It was. I, I, I've done a, a little bit of work from the um, chemistry point of view, trying to figure out why some of those things can go spontaneously as well. We had a situation in Sacramento a few years ago where a truck trailer was loaded with that type of material, and it just spontaneously combusted after three years of storage. So done a little bit of work with that type of thing and uh but like john i was involved with a lot of uh of the typical atf type explosive cases the pipe bombs and things like that uh but with my background in chemistry i i also like to focus a little on the fireworks and the fuel air explosions well i'm glad i'm glad you're out there too because see uh, in that uh I have some news on that firefighter thing. One of the one of the uh, killers was a guy named Brian Shepard, and he just got uh, a resentencing hearing uh, in uh, at the federal court here in Kansas City. But he was 17 when he was uh, sentenced to life without parole, and uh, the judge saw and uh, they let him out. Uh, he'd served 22 years, so he's out on the street again. Or will be? Yeah, he's out actually in the on the street, um, and he has some. Uh, provisions uh, is still on probation and stuff, but uh, uh, the firefighters are still dead, and uh, I don't like to see any anybody that was part of the people that killed them uh, do it. Whether or not it was their intent to kill uh, or not, the the resulting um, it's like I tell uh, all the listeners here. Every time the fire department rolls on a, on a an alarm. Uh, and there's over a million three hundred thousand a year uh, that they roll on. They risk their lives. And these fire investigators are on our show now. 
and all of the fire investigators throughout the country and the firefighters always are out there risking their lives for you. So you please show them the appreciation they deserve. Um, the and when and the ATF has done a lot of uh, background and a lot of uh, research, and they have in their ATF lab, and uh, and the IAAI, the International Association of Arson Investigators, works in hand in hand with the ATF, and the ATF were the ones that broke the case in Kansas City, and they couldn't have done a better job. They're they're um, and and they've been maligned. And so I want to stand up for the ATF, as I did at Waco, where they said that people were putting uh, uh, incendiaries into there and caused the fire. That's not what happened at Waco. And, uh, And that's just the way it is. Right, right. And in addition to even the, the firefighters and the police officers that are responding and maybe getting in accidents, having uh, heart attacks, uh, actually falling through like buildings or buildings falling on them. We won't get into that one, too. But that happens. It's also uh, you out there, the listeners. The fire trucks uh, hit cars. I mean, people don't move out of the way. And, and we have innocent people that get killed because they're not getting out of the way uh, for this emergency response that happens too. So there's all kinds of, and when it's an arson or it's an incendiary device, it's an explosive and it's being done on purpose. Uh, this is, that's murder. Yes, it that's is. called murder. Felony murder. Um, now, uh, John, about, uh, about you've worked a lot of cases. Um, I, most of the fatalities that I work with, uh, that are having to do with explosions are due to either uh, natural gas or um, or propane. Propane uh, is one particular thing around here in the Midwest. Uh, they have a lot of propane explosions. Uh, how is it out there in the Phoenix, California area? Well, it, it's different for me, Mike, now because uh, you know I spent m- most of my career on the in the Northeast, which is heavily right. propane because of the. Uh, inability to deliver natural gas up in the rural areas. So now we come out here and it's more natural gas serviced by the city. So it's different, but it's the same. It's just, it's, you're dealing with a different um, installation system. You're dealing with a different delivery system. You're dealing with, um, you know, piping that should be the same, but sometimes it's not and, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Right, and so and uh, and um, so in in your area, then uh, are you are you working very many bomb bombings? Because uh, I don't I don't hear a lot of bombings in Phoenix or anything. Not since I left ATF. I mean, uh, prior to that, we would always work um, some, and you know, surprisingly, I would say we just has had just as many bombers kill themselves than. Yeah. People that actually did bombings on innocent victims, uh, but the end result is still the same. You process the scenes the same way. You recover the evidence the same way. You exploit it forensically, and you you come to a solution. It's it's a tried and proven method that we've been that I've been doing since 1988 with ATF, and um, you know they continue to do it to these days. So, right. In addition to the propane, natural gas, of course, the pipe bombs and the specific bombs being built, the handmade ones, uh, there's also gasoline. And I wanted to ask, I don't know which one of you to ask because I don't know what your areas look like about uh, grain elevators. 
That's a dust explosion. I don't explosion. have too many grain elevators in the southwest. <laughs> <laughs> we have a few in the uh, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota area. So once in a while we'll get uh, grain dust explosions and uh, grain elevator fires from the conveyor belts and the like. Haven't ever yeah, I, tried to blow up one of those yet. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, that's a new <laughs> challenge. You need to add that to your list. Yes, yeah, yes. I really do think so, but you know, getting those, it was, well, the grain dust. We've, oh, yeah, I've worked a, I've worked more than a few of them, and and that, uh, you know, the grain dust is like 400 microns, and all of this, uh, all of this uh, surface uh, air ratio stuff that we have to learn about in these things. Um, they're they're really challenging sometimes to, because you're it's very difficult as you know in in many explosives uh, uh, cases when when no one survives or something you really don't know exactly what the ignition factor is we just know that it happened and yeah. we had a, we had a big explosion here in, in Kansas City uh, JJ's uh, and it caused a lot of damage and killed a, a waitress and it was sad that was a natural gas yeah and that was a natural gas leak situation um, and uh, and Steve what about you um, out there are, are you catching any um, expl- a lot of explosions or no uh, occasionally we'll get some explosions out here. Uh, we don't have the green elevators like they do in the Midwest either, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, typically our explosions out here, if they're not uh, a criminal type of an explosion, are the fuel air type of things, the LPG, propane, uh, natural gas, leaks. A few years ago here in the Sierra Nevada, we had a series of pretty tragic explosions where snow would come off of the roof and of a house in large masses and it would hit uh, some of the piping occasionally on these outside propane tanks and cause these minuscule cracks in the piping. Well, normally when we smell propane, we can smell that uh, rotten egg smell. Ethyl mercaptan is the chemical they put in it, so you can notice it. But what was happening was with these minor cracks, they would get this propane to then travel through the snow, and it would actually leak into the house, and in the process, it would scrub away a lot of that uh, odorant. And so these houses were blowing up because uh, they were getting to the normal amounts of uh, propane that could do it, but nobody could smell it. And it was just a very strange situation caused by the heavy snowfall. Um, The other things we have a lot out here now seems to be uh, explosions caused by what's called honey oil labs, where some of the nation's finest are packing pipes full of uh, marijuana uh, cuttings and then sticking a a tube full of uh, uh, non-odorized butane. Uh, The butane acts as a solvent to get the high-quality oils out of the marijuana, but they don't pay any attention to the safety precautions. Uh, and the pro, or the butane, in this case, builds up much like the propane or natural gas would. Uh, and without an odorant, they don't know it's there. It reaches a, a thermostat or a pilot light or something like that, and we get a lot of explosions in hotels, uh, apartment complexes, places where these guys do their business. 
Well, you know, it reminds me of something I read and said, uh, I'm not saying we should kill all the stupid people. I'm just saying just take all the warning labels off of things and let it work out <laughs> to pile out for itself. Uh, well, that's natural selection, right? Well, yeah, and, and thank you. And, and oh, go Steve, ahead. Let me, let me jump in here real quick. I, I mean, sure. I just when you're talking about that, uh, as ironic as it sounds, the, the last explosion and then subsequent fire worked before I transferred out to the Phoenix area was was a result of um, snow and ice falling off a roof and fracturing the um, line going into the house to service the propane stove and dryer and things like that. And then the first case I worked when I opened my own company, ironically, was up in Flagstaff. Uh, similar things. Flagstaff is about 7,500 feet in elevation, so you you get the similar climate that you do in the Northeast and. You know, with the melting snow and the ice dams that came off in, in this particular home had uh, propane and because uh, it was up on the mountain and very similar and things like that. But it, it's one of those things you wouldn't know to look for unless you've experienced it before. And that's what comes along with the experience. You see, you know, that this happened before and, you know, you add that to your little back of your mind. And when you're looking at this and you're saying, you know, why is this roof devoid of snow and ice? Well, it's because it you know, the ice dams melted and then you had a big release of snow and, and ice on this pitched roof down into this propane tank. So, Right. Well, I, right. I want to thank you both for uh, bringing up the mercaptum and the odorants. And to the listeners out there, you're not smelling gas. What you're smelling is a odorant that's added by the company for you to be able to detect it. And that's very important. So... And different and different men, uh, different people put in ethyl or butyl mercaptans, as Steve said, and uh, and it gets scrubbed in in the Midwest. Uh, we have a lot of underground piping. It gets scrubbed by the soil because the the molecules of the mercaptans are larger than the molecules of the gas, and it follows. Uh, if you have a, like a hole in your in a, a propane supply line, it'll follow it into the house. And now you've got an odorless uh, uh, fuel gas that can be ignited, and I've worked many of those, and one of them in a prison, uh, and uh, where the people were somewhat uh, hampered from escaping. Yeah. So uh, it's terrible. Uh, but when, I, when we talk about snow and ice, we always, uh, I, I automatically think of my mountain man, Jamie Novak. <laughs> it's Steve Not a whole Wilson. lot of mountains, but a lot of snow and ice at times. That's exactly yeah, right, and we, when we come back. Snow and ice, it's- we're gonna we're gonna take a break here in a second, but when we come back, we're we're gonna talk to Jamie about uh, about. I know he blows a lot of things up, but he probably doesn't do it when when there's you know it's minus forty two or whatever it is up there when the wind's blowing. Yeah, uh, I hope not. Yeah, and but I you know he's certainly worked a lot of ice palaces where they go there and they the fire department has to put that uh, wet stuff on the red stuff, so they have ice palaces, and then they he has to wait. Uh, for a while before he can uh, dig it out because it's frozen. Yeah. And, and uh, so we're going to come back here um, with uh, Speaking of Fire, and, and hopefully Jamie will have a story for us uh, about uh, an ice palace at least, or maybe an explosion and an ice palace. So come back to Speaking of Fire.
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. Fireanalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact fireanalysis.net. That's fireanalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Before we went on break, we were talking to Jamie about uh, him living in the tundra, the United States tundra, and, and wanted to have him share a story about an ice palace. Um, before we get to that, one of the things you talked about, Donna, was the uh, natural gas and propane have mercaptans in them so people can smell. One, a lot of people can smell that. And one of, the, one of our last houses we blew up, we did a story for Channel 9 News here in Minneapolis, and it was on gas detectors because I've had so many people in the last 10-plus years that have told me they didn't smell gas, they didn't smell propane, and their house blew up. Well, one, if that leak is out at the street, the soil can scrub out the odor, the snow can scrub it out. Also, some people get used to it, so if the leak occurs in the middle of the night by the time they wake up. That's why I'm a big proponent if people go to their hardware store. Um, Kitty and a couple of others might have, it's a, a CO detector that also detects natural gas and propane for Good. like under $40. But I'm just big on if they need a CO detector anyhow, then go get a uh, one that also does the propane natural gas because not always are you going to be able to smell it. And if the leak occurs in the middle of the night, you aren't going to wake up just because you smelled odorant. Yeah, but a lot of recreational the other, vehicles. Uh, issue, yes. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, here when firefighters put out fires when it's 20 below or 25 or 30 below in northern Minnesota, you sometimes end up with ice castles. And unfortunately, there is either one they have to use a uh, a crane 
or something to bust it up, or a lot of times we we tarp it or build structures over it and have to thaw it out. And the worst case scenario is there's been a few times where we've had to tarp it and secure it and then wait two months for the weather to warm up and finally do the investigation. Not the most ideal way to do an investigation, but there's just some structures you can't uh, warm it up to thaw everything out to do the investigation. Um, that even happens here in Kansas, too, and especially with the grounders. I mean, it, it takes a few months, and you're right. But when it comes to uh, any type of injury or or fatality, of course, and, and I, I've never seen that, though, though. That's good information. Yeah, yep. well, on, on fatalities, though, you're going to, if someone's missing, you're going to, you're going to use that crane, aren't you, and break in and try and find it. Yeah, find find a find a person. Um, do you have um, Do you have very many um, uh, natural gas or propane explosions uh, in your area, uh, uh, Jamie? Like uh, I know yeah, I know I you work. We you know probably somewhere in the state, probably every two weeks, there's some type of you know, and not all gas explosions are blow the house to smithereens and everything scattered everywhere. A lot of times they're smaller ones where it just blows a wall out of the house or it blows the windows out. Sometimes they're those huge explosions where everything's damaged. And the thing that always amazes me that why I like explosions because they're so interesting is how sometimes people survive and get blown out into the yard on their mattress and aren't have a scratch on them. And I'm like, when I was teaching out in Colorado, while we were in our class teaching uh, gas explosions and burning and stuff out in the parking lot and stuff, they said, yeah, they just had an explosion uh, a couple of cities over, and a young kid rode his mattress out into the yard and said he was ready to do it again. And I'm just like, (laughs) how how these people get that lucky that never get injured and, and fly out there is amazing. But you know, majority of people end up getting injured or killed. So that's why it's so important that if people smell gas, just to get out and call the fire department and the gas company and don't try looking for it yourself. But, you know, explosions are just like fires. They're caused by three things, men, women, and children. You get rid of people, you quit having fires, and you quit having explosions because most of those are caused by the dumb things we do. You know, they turn on uncapped lines in their house. And so that's why I always tell people is make sure that every gas line in your house has a cap or a plug in it, and there's a shutoff valve right there. Yeah, well, I, you brought up a couple of really good things. Um, the detectors, um, re- recreational vehicles uh, have them built in. Uh, but if people had uh, some, firstly, uh, I, I, I don't care for propane. I won't even have a propane grill because, well, not only I can't cook, but other than that, but I mean, other than that, I just don't like it. I've worked too many of them, uh, explosions. And uh, and when it's a, a fuel gas that you, it's a non-detectable thing uh, and it uh, that uh, that flame front that goes with it, that's, that does serious, serious damage. And we're going to have a show, by the way, of a burn victim uh, and, uh, and the, uh, uh, hopefully the Phoenix Society uh, will be on uh, talking about burn victims and, and how to help people and, and what happens in these fires. Well, and, and you're right, Jamie, with it, it's people. And, I, and I'm going to share a story on myself just from five years ago. Uh, smell gas called with the gas company 
It was about 11 degrees out, and I couldn't pull the car out of the garage and anything, and I stayed in the building, and I knew better, (laughs) but this is what people do, and I'm a people, well, most of the time, I'm a people, (laughs) and this is what happens. And, and and I didn't have a second plan. I didn't have a plan. And that's where when it comes to fire and, and even gas, I did not have in my mind what I sh- could do in that situation where I can't get my car out. I have nowhere to go. It's one in the morning. So I just sat there and prayed. Uh, you could walk out this front door. Okay, go down the steps. Go over to the neighbors. Knock on the doors. They come in. Now, this is an apartment building. We were attached. I did go and tell everybody. And none of us. <laughs> Go ahead. Jamie, ahead. I have a question for you. This is John. Shoot. So uh, being out here in the Phoenix area now, the, the city is relatively new when you compare it to the, you know, the East Coast and, and probably your neck of the woods. So the, the, ex, the gas explosions and subsequent fires that, that I've looked at are, are more, my experience anyways, has been more human error, uh, leaving, you know, a stove, you know, gas line on or more criminal where they disconnected it to to make it look like it was a it was an accidental gas explosion but they're you know piping natural gas into the house whereas when i was on the east coast because of the age of the cities and the age of the distribution lines we saw a lot more um utility pipes that would fail and then you know have that gas migrate underneath the building across the street. Do you, do you yep. find that's true up in, in Minnesota? Yeah, and I think that's partly due to both your, on the East Coast and our area, is the weather is colder, so the ground, you're getting frost into the ground, and you, so you're getting some heaving and some issues that way. Because, uh, you know, a lot of ours are human-caused, but a lot of them are either installation or the other thing is weather factors. We get... Um, gas meters that freeze up. If people go outside and see that they're building up ice and snow on their gas meter, they need to get that removed. One of the things we have is, you know, towards spring and in the fall when things start melting, water runs off the side of the house, collects on top of the meter, freezes, and then it freezes that relief valve shut, and now you overpressurize inside the house. That's one of our issues. The other thing is the ground heaves because we get frost at times that can go down five, six feet, and then it, it uh, is pulling and stretching on the gas lines that can right. cause them to come apart, and then you have a leak that runs in. The other problem we have here is directional boring is when they put in directional boring, they don't know when they're hitting a uh, gas line or something like that. Um, they can have a problem where uh, they, in St. Paul here, after we had an explosion where a poor uh, plumber was doing a uh, rotor rooter of the sewer line going out to the street, he ran his uh, um, rotor rooter right through the gas line. And th- what we found out was that when they buried the gas line by directional boring, they ran right through the sewer line at a 90-degree angle to the uh, pipe. So now this guy, sooner or later, that's going to plug up. And so they call thinking they got a tree root in their uh, sewer system, and Roto-Rooter comes and cuts right through the gas line, releasing all that gas into the sewer line, back up into the building, and the house explodes. After that happened in St. Paul, 
they were forced to uh, run a camera down every sewer line in the city. They found over 90 gas lines that had gone through the sewer line. Amazing. That's yeah, amazing. That's, that's scary. That's so, totally you know, amazing. And you, you think of it puts a homeowner at risk. The poor guy who's doing the uh, sewer work, he's going to get uh, probably injured in it. So, uh, yeah, a lot of it, you know, a lot of it's human error. And like I said, it's even those are technically caused by humans because somebody installed a gas line improperly. Um, Absolutely. But Absolutely. almost every, every one you look at, it's always because somebody turns something on, turns something off, um, installs something and forgot to cap the line. But a good majority, we always ask is, you know, what was people doing the last 24 hours before the fire and explosion? And you usually can figure out what happened. Right. And, uh, Stephen, uh, another thing here in the Midwest, I don't know if it happens, I'm going to ask Steve about this, uh, in uh, drought, drought here in uh, in this uh, in the midwest here uh, we had terrible br- drought and when it uh, it caused uh, houses to to uh, to shift and and uh, and the ground to shift and broke water lines and and gas lines and everything now steve you you're in california uh, northern california right didn't you have a uh, you had a terrible drought until recently uh, did did you experience any of that uh, ground seismic right. stuff We've, we've had an awful lot of slides out here uh, and roads breaking away and, and just falling off hillsides, Mike, but I am not aware of any problems with the piping uh, that would have led to explosions. We have had some severe explosions uh, back in 2010 down on the San Francisco uh, Peninsula. There was a, a very large explosion from an, a gas company supply line. Uh, nobody knew there was a, a problem with it outside of the gas company, but apparently the pipes had just gotten old, and suddenly this one pipe uh, exploded. It caused about a 160-foot-long, 26-foot-wide crater, killed eight people, I think, injured many more. And in that case, they thought it was simply due to, uh, or, or one of the contributing factors was, lack of upkeep on the pipes. And one of the things that we learned, uh, most of the people learned out here in California that many didn't know is the tremendous amount of petroleum and and gas-based pipes that we have in this state. Uh, The vast majority of gasoline, for instance, is is moved underground uh, from refineries uh, in California, and the same thing with natural gas, naturally. But uh, the... uh, uh, these pipes are everywhere, and, and people digging uh, to add to homes or, or the ground shifting like you're talking about all put some of these at risk. Um, hopefully we won't have any, but as you said, with the, uh, the, the fact that we were in such a drought for a long time and now that we've been absolutely inundated with rain this year, uh, with the movement of the ground, it, it definitely brings those possibilities to the forefront. Uh, well, you, but we thank God that you brought up digging because uh, digs, dig safe is what they call here in in, in this our area, and uh, and you call before you dig, and, and you know there's all kinds of uh, hotlines you can call to to so before you start digging around, 
please uh, please call in. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Steve. You you're um, you guys uh, there are AT- ATF. Uh, you John too. Um, they they def- they define gasoline as an explosive, and that's how uh, ATF gets in on a, on a lot of the. Uh, uh, the fires, uh, explosions uh, where there was uh, some kind of uh, um, uh, fuel gas involved. Uh, and what uh, do you remember when they did that? Were you part of the ATF, Steve? When that when they did that to find uh, gasoline as a, as an explosive? No, that was a little before my time, uh, five years before I think. But in the early eighties, what mm-hmm. uh, what you're talking about, I think, Mike, is where a lot of the federal jurisdiction for uh, large cases where we had uh, gasoline and whatnot being used in the Northeast to burn down uh, vacant buildings, uh, someone came up with the idea that gasoline uh, could be an explosive, and therefore, since ATF already had explosives jurisdiction, uh, one thing led to another, and then ATF started to investigate some of those. Uh, The law subsequently changed to where the explosives factor was no longer crucial to get ATF involved in a case. And then it became uh, a law that involved both fire or explosives uh, involving things like interstate commerce or federal buildings or uh, fire or explosions used to commit other federal felonies, things along those lines. But that's kind of how it got started back in the late 70s, early 80s. Okay, well, I guess I'm just too old. I, I I knew that when that happened, so I couldn't remember exactly what they do. But I, so that's why I said I thought it was oh, it's prior to your career. So my God, it's a long time ago. All right, so so okay, so um, so uh, John, you uh, you work the um, you work Oklahoma City, and and uh, the same the same. Uh, well, explosive was involved in uh, in the killing of the six firefighters here. In uh, '88, in '88, so um, that's uh, that's still uh, being used throughout the country. But there's some there's there's a there's a lot of uh, monitoring of that now, isn't there? Well, there's more than there used to be, but you know, for a variety of reasons, uh, there's been some reluctance to to um, alter the chemical makeup of that, so it can be tracked post-explosion. And, and a lot of that is because what you're referring to, you know, the ammonium nitrate is, is got a commercial use. It's fertilizer. Um, mm-hmm. So, you, you know, there's a big uh, push out there from the fertilizer um, lobby and folks like that and the agriculture lobby to not alter their fertilizer for the, the point of tracking or potentially uh, tracking um, their product if it's used in a crime. So yes. it, well, it is yeah. better. Um, there's more documentation now, and when ATF audits explosives dealers, on, not on the on the criminal side, on the on the special agent side, but we have inspectors that would, you know, inspect gun dealers and explosive dealers. Uh, the, there's more record keeping requirements for for those materials now than there there has been. So. And that's great. Um, and Jamie, in your area, are um, what it, what are you as uh, what are you experiencing in in your area? What's the what's what's the uh, bombers' uh, uh, choice uh, stuff? Uh, I'm happy to hear a lot of them blow themselves up, uh, but uh, is, are, are, are they using gunpowder 
and, and stuff I think like it's that. mostly gunpowders, pipe bombs, and stuff. That's handled. Our police department at St. Paul has uh, the bomb squad. There's uh, three of them, Minneapolis Bomb Squad, St. Paul, and then Bloomington um, handle most of the state and run out on those. But I believe most of what they're running into is pipe bombs with just uh, black powder and stuff. Yeah, well, when I was when I was on the uh, police department, I was a detective. I mean, one of the things that we learned very quickly was, if there's a bomb, you get two blocks away and call the bomb squad. Now, I was never part of a bomb squad because I, I'm just, I just, I'm crazy, but I'm not stupid. Oh no, now wait a minute. Did you guys now? Is anybody part of a bomb squad? Did you uh, had? Uh, I don't know, Steve. Were you ever part of a bomb squad, an actual squad? No, no. I, in fact, back in the day that I think when John and I were on ATF, uh, we uh, n- none of the special agents were involved in rendering uh, devices to a safe level. I think they do now, but uh, yeah, back in our days. I was going to date you, Steve. Since you've retired, <laughs> they've changed that. And um, yeah, I know. <laughs> you have about, about you, you have a fair amount of special agents nationwide that have the authority and the training to what's called render safe. Uh, explosive devices. Overwhelming, though, is the it, that task and function is left to the state and local law enforcement agencies. And uh, it's it's you know ATF is looked at as more of a an investigative arm. It's not a, a public safety arm. So although we do have some uh, that are qualified to do that, I would say the overwhelming majority of uh, you know render safe operations occur at the state and local level. I was I was uh, fortunate enough to go down to Incedar uh, National Center for Explosion Training and Research uh, down in Huntsville, Alabama, and teach down there. And uh, and they do a lot of training down there on explosives. I know that. Uh, and John, you were in uh, you were in uh, Iraq, so you must have seen uh, a lot of IEDs, right? Well, the program I was involved with, I was embedded, I was an ATF agent and there was an FBI agent, and we were embedded with um, a program that would go out and respond to bombings and collect the evidence as quickly as possible without, you know, exposing yourself unnecessarily. So within that unit, there was a, a lot of military EOD and some other organizations that we were involved in, and, and the function of that unit was to process it forensically to to re, to identify the small percentage of people that were making these IEDs and the VBIDs, which is the vehicle borne, as opposed to the people that were just delivering them. So the program evolved over six or seven years, um, and they ended up having a lot of success identifying a tremendous amount of people um, that were actually making these things, the, the bomb makers. And, and that was all done through forensics and biometrics and really good investigative work where you teamed an investigator such as myself with a military EOD guy or a civilian bomb tech, or not a civilian, but a, a bomb tech that was associated with another organization that had the, the technical knowledge of how to take them apart with the investigative knowledge of what, how this works. And, you know, we had electrical engineers there. We had uh, forensic scientists there. So it was a lot of good work being done. So, but you right. did get exposed to some very sophisticated and advanced fusing and firing systems, which you don't typically have in the U.S. because, you know, typical criminal bombings, they're going to get what they can get at Home Depot or 
loans yeah. or, or, or whatever because they just don't we just don't have access and, and you know typically the people involved in criminal bombings here aren't aren't the brightest um, right, bright right. Impact, no, so. no, no bright bulbs here. Uh, well, let me say that I, there, in this country, there's a there's a massive fear of terrorism. Uh, we had uh, we had the Israelis come over and talk to us at uh, or teach us at uh, conference uh, about uh, explosive vests and all that stuff. We have such good law enforcement agencies in this area that we need not be as afraid. As as, uh, as as there's been a lot of stoking of of, of fear of terrorism, uh, and uh, as long as we have the ATF and us and and uh, other law enforcement agencies and and all the local people that are doing it in intelligence, uh, we're not going to have uh, that big of a problem. We when it's not going to say we're not going to have any. But, but we're, we, we're going to stop it. And I want to thank all you guys. Oh, I want to ask Jamie one more thing. Jamie, are you planning on blowing anything up uh, in a while? In a little not, excellent Not in the near future. We're going to be burning some stuff. Um, like I said, is, uh, that's one of the things I teach because a lot of fire investigators don't ever set anything on fire. And to me, it's kind of like a doctor never doing any surgeries but coming to do yours. And so <laughs> that's why we teach fire investigators you need to burn stuff so you know better what to look for and that and to be more educated. And, you know, the first time I got a potted plant to catch on fire from uh, cigarette butts, I was excited because of the fact that we all know it happens, but how many of us have ever got one to catch on fire? And since then, I've probably gotten over 200 potted plants to catch on fire. Um, so we know that, that can a- happen. We know cigarette containers can catch on fire, and and that's just some of the stuff I love to do to at least teach and educate firefighters. And it works good for firefighters and fire marshals to know that, to teach and do public education to the public of what not to do. Right. Well, I've always said about you, you're not a potted plant. I've said that. So anyway, so <laughs> Steve, Steve, uh, thank you for being here. I know that you're uh, you're out there in in, uh, in California and uh, keep up the good work. John, thank you for being there in, in uh, Phoenix um, and keeping up the good work there and doing investigations. And Jamie, as always, thank you for blowing things up and teaching us everything. Um, so... Next week, we're going to have a, a, a dog show, um, a dog show with, uh, with accelerant detection canines and bomb dogs. So it's going to be somewhat related. Uh, thanks, Jamie. Thank you for being here. You bet. Thanks, guys. And uh, thank you, John. And thank you, Steve. Thank you're, you guys. You're, you're very welcome. And uh, come back uh, next week to Speaking of Fire. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.